We're going to be in Second uh, Chronicles chapter 20. Not going to look at the whole chapter. Going to look at just some at the front. And uh, so I hope if you have your Bibles, you'll turn there and follow along as we read. The words will be on the screen and you can read along and see them easily now. Jehoshaphat, now I'll share in a little bit, was a king of Judah, which is a southern kingdom. He was a good king. He followed God, tried to, wasn't perfect. But uh, it was written that it came to pass after this also that the children of Moab, talking about the nation, is, it's a way to say it, and the children of Ammon and with those others beside the Ammonites came against Jehoshaphat to battle. Then there came some that told Jehoshaphat, saying, There cometh a great multitude against thee from beyond the sea on this side of Syria. Talking about the Red Sea, the Dead Sea. They were on the other side of Jordan. And behold, they be in Hazazon Tamar, which is in Engedi. And Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaim a fast throughout all Judah. So right there he does the right thing. He had natural fear. A challenge had come. Armies were coming up against him, much more mighty than they were. He had reason to be scared of the challenge in front of him. But rather than shrivel up into a ball in the fetal position, rather than run off and make a bunch of alliance with, with pagan kings, he stopped and prayed before the Lord and he called his nation to a fast, calling the whole nation to come before God and pray. It says, And Judah gathered themselves together to ask help of the Lord. Even out of all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. So he had uh, virtually universal, as far as the country of Judah, uh, involvement in prayer. And people came and, and sought God's mind about it. And then it, uh, the chapter goes on, it lists uh, Jehoshaphat's prayer, and it's an interesting prayer. If you'll take time to read it, it almost sounds like he was kind of fussing at God because he says, oh God, you've done all these things and you've commanded us and you told us not to do this and to do that and we have tried to follow you. So Lord, it's up to you to come save us. If you read between the lines, that's kind of the way Jehoshaphat prayed. But that's an all right prayer to remind God, Lord, I've tried to follow you. I've tried to obey you. I've tried to do what you instruct me to do. Now here is a challenge bigger than me. I need you to work, Lord. And that work can be in a variety of ways. And so that was Jehoshaphat's prayer. This is the uh, map of the two kingdoms. And you see the green up top there is the northern kingdom. After Solomon, the nation split into two. Under Saul, David, and Solomon, the kingdom was united into one Israel. But after Solomon, there became some divisions among his children and different things. There was some rebellion. If you remember, Solomon had taxed the people pretty heavily to build the temple in Jerusalem and, and other things. And if you can imagine, if you can believe it, the nation kind of split over taxes. Uh, can't believe that ever happened, but it did. So up top, whoops, went too far. Up top, we have the nation of Israel. They took the name Israel, and the southern kingdom became Judah down here. 
And sometimes as you're reading the Bible, that can be confusing to keep them straight because at one part of the Bible, when you read Israel, it's the whole United Kingdom. And then later on in the history of, of Israel, Israel refers to the Northern Kingdom. And there were some differences. It's interesting. Uh, one I'll go, these are the two areas that were coming against Jehoshaphat. This is Jerusalem here. So that's the sea they were on the other side of that the scripture talked about. Jehoshaphat was a good king. He lived 870 to 849 BC. He tried to follow God and in, in many ways he did. He, uh, there was a worship in that day of worshiping Asherah and there were Asherah poles. It was an idol. Many people still worshiped Baal. They had altars and Jehoshaphat uh, made people tear those down and, and encouraged his people to worship Almighty God. So he was a good king. During the divided kingdoms, Israel didn't have any king that followed God. None of them obeyed him. None of them tried to draw the people. And at this time of, of Jehoshaphat, the king of Israel was Ahab. And you should know your stories of Ahab. He was the one married to Jezebel. All the prophets of Baal that Elijah defeated, that's, that's that Ahab. Judah did have a mix of good and evil kings. Israel was carried off into exile. What does it say there? 722 B.C. God enjoined them and joined them to worship Him, to follow Him. They refused. So He eventually let them be dispersed. It was largely by the Assyrian kingdom that conquered all of Israel. And Assyria had a method of assimilating, to use that word Lewis introduced to us. They would take some of their people and bring them to the conquered land, and then they would take the conquered people and move them to the homeland. And that way they would intermix, and as they intermix the nationality, the pride and nationalism would fade away and they'd get to where they didn't care if they went back home, if they're nations. So that was the way Assyria conquered the people is by mixing them rather than trying to keep them separate and run guard over them and hold them that way where they could incite each other, they dispersed them. And that is where we get the lost tribes of Israel. I'm sure you've heard of that many times, the ten lost tribes of Israel. They aren't really lost. We know what happened to them. They were carried into exile in Assyria, and they never came back. They stayed in exile. Judah, because it had some good kings that followed God, was, was kept a little longer. God extended some time to them, kept them going. They didn't go into exile until 590 B.C. Remember on your years in B.C., you got to think backwards. So a bigger number is, far, is not as far away, and a lower number is, is that, no, the other way. Lower number is close to the year 0 A.D. Bigger the number gets, the further away you are in history. So they survived almost 200 more years because they worshiped God and followed Him. And Jehoshaphat was one of those kings. So they have this great challenge before them. They have armies coming after them. They're not strong enough to defeat them. They know that. They don't have the people. And so they've cried out to God. And it turns out that one of the men, God didn't speak to the king. 
The message didn't come to him. It came to one of the prophets named Zahazael. And he says, listen, King Jehoshaphat and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. And that is such a key thing for all of us, and that's the point of today's message. The challenges before us, uh, the challenges that God places before us, are not our battle. We are just called to be engaged in it. And so Jehoshaphat was commanded to go out to battle. It wasn't that they could sit in their homes and just kind of twiddle their thumbs while God took care of it. They had to dress for battle. They had to go out to the battlefield. And as you read the rest of this chapter, one of the reasons it's dear and dear to my heart is because the choir led them. He sent the singers out first, and they sang, proclaiming, Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His love endures forever, which has been turned into many songs. Give thanks to the Lord. For he is good, his love endures forever. And the singers led the way. And as they came to the place, God started putting a spirit of confusion in the other armies, and they ended up slaughtering themselves. And when the Israelites got, the Judahites got there, under Jehoshaphat, the battle was over. God had caused it to cease, and it says the plunder, they started collecting the plunder from the, from the deceased armies now, was so great it took three days to collect it all. And that became property of Judah. So God not only protected them and defeated them from the army, He blessed them with the plunder that, that was theirs to take. It was in their country. And that, that became uh, funds to help support the nation of Judah. So God not only protected them, He provided for them. When God brings us into a challenge, and we are faced with a challenge, we say, I, I can't do that, it's too big. I don't have the skills, I don't have the strength. I, I, we can on and on and on with the excuses. And they're not untrue. We are limited in our intelligence. We are limited in our physique. We are limited in, in other ways, in other resources. But if we'll realize that a challenge is a great opportunity for God to show out, to, to glorify himself, and to proclaim. At the end of chapter 29, at the end of the passage of chapter 20, excuse me, verse 29, there's a little by note there that says, and all the nations around feared Judah for they knew that their God was powerful. I'm paraphrasing. But in God doing this and showing that he was the protector and the God of the nation of Judah, the other nation said, I'm not going to try to pick a fight with them. They've got a powerful God protecting them and helping them. And so it is, on and on again in our scripture, God gives his people a great challenge. Matter of fact, uh, in, 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 in the New Testament, Paul encourages us, do not be concerned about what you will say, 
For at that moment, God will give you the words to say. And that's what I thought of a couple of weeks ago when Lewis shared his testimony about sharing with the men while working on the airplane because he, he was sharing with us in the deacons meeting and with you, he said just verse after verse started rolling out. And it brought to mind that that God had, had said in his scripture and it, uh, Lewis knew those on some level, but, I, but he related to us. He wasn't consciously thinking, okay, I'm going to quote this verse, then I'm going to quote that verse. It just flowed. The Holy Spirit was working, and that's what God says he will do, and that's what God did in that case, and that's what God will do. It's not that there's not a way to accomplish it. The trouble's the will. You remember that old phrase, where there's a will, there's a way? The trouble is not how to do it because God will do it in us and through us. The trouble is developing the will to do it. And God has called us to these challenges. And there's a problem if we shrink back from the challenges. And I want to remind you about the Israelites early on, the Hebrews, they were known better then, that were following Moses. Moses, through God, had... Uh, rescued the people out of Egypt. You understand the story of the ten plagues, how they finally convinced the Egyptians, Pharaoh, to let them go. They made it through on dry land. They got to the other side. The Egyptians went in. The waters crashed in. And God protected them. And then he led them with a pillar of fire, a pillar of cloud. He fed them all the time. God told them to go and conquer the land of Canaan. He had gone before them. He, he says, a land of milk and honey. He had promised it to Abraham. He was keeping his promise to Abraham hundreds of years before. And so God told them to do that. And the Israelites were not supposed to wander for 40 years. Whatever time it took to get from Egypt to the Canaan land was all the time it took. And then they were to go in and conquer the land. God had promised he would give the land to them. He had promised Abraham and he was keeping this promise. But what happened? They looked at their own capabilities. Ten out of twelve said, we can't go in there. The, there's giants in there and, and there's all these obstacles to overcome. No, 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 no. We, we can't do that. And Caleb and Joshua said, hey, God said it. I believe it. Let's do it. But the people wouldn't. They shrunk back from the challenge. They shrunk back from the test. And what happened? God didn't smite them all right then. He didn't send them back to Egypt. He just said, okay, you're going to wander around. And they did. They wandered in the desert for 40 years. Terrible life. But God provided. When they needed water, he had Moses smite a rock and they got water. When they needed food, he had quail and manna appear on the ground for them to eat. He loved his people. He cared for his people. But those people did not get to enter the promised land. They never saw it. Even Moses was not allowed to go into the promised land. He had to stand on a mountaintop and look over across the river in there. What's the point? The point is, when God gives a challenge and his people shrink back he withdraws 
and, and a sermon that I remember Dr. Stanley preaching many years ago when we were there. And he talked about people in life that God has said, I want you to do this. You're the one I've chosen and they refuse to follow. Again, he said God didn't strike them dead. He said, uh, tell you what, you just sit over here on this shelf until it's time for me to call you home. And he said that's just a, that's almost the worst thing. Worse than death, because of death they'd have gone to be with Jesus. But to never have God's call upon their life again. To never have Him say, I want to use you. I want you to be part of my glory being revealed. You just kind of stay over here out of the way. And I've thought long time, and, and I feel it more as I get older, that one of the worst things to do to a person, one of the worst things to do to a senior person, is to say, you've outlived your usefulness. You just kind of stay over here and let us young bucks take care of it. That's awful. To lose the wisdom, to lose the, uh, the history, but that's the attitude. Abandonment of somebody is one of the worst things to do. And God, when we refuse to follow, that's what He does. He said, okay, just stay here out of my way. I'll go to someone else. We are not going to defeat what God wants to do. What God says He wants to do, He will do it. But if we refuse to follow, we won't receive the blessing of being included. If it's as a church that we don't follow God, God's going to find another church that's willing to hear Him and follow Him. And they will receive the blessing of seeing baptisms. People come to the Lord, the joy and the fellowship, and the other will be left to languish on the vine. It's a serious matter to receive the call of God and not follow through with it. And we each need that. And I can tell you experientially, I have experienced that years ago God was working in my life and I got a little timid about it. I, uh, it it's, a, it's difficult to explain if you hadn't been through it, but when God's working through you, on one hand, it's a rush to see God doing something through your efforts. It's also scary because then God has something else that's a little bigger Something else that requires a little more faith. Something else that you think, boy, if I mess up, it's going to be bad. And I was at that place, and I shrunk back. And I didn't let God do all the work He wanted to do. And I'm convinced that it takes a long time to get God's trust back again. You see, when He calls you to a task, when he says, I need you to do this job, I've gifted you to do this job, he's trusting you with his people. He's trusting you with the work that he wants done. And if you shrink back from that, you kind of lose his trust. I tried. They weren't willing to follow me. I'm going to have to wait and watch and see. And I really believe. And that was one reason it was so exciting to me when you as a church called me last July and said, come supply and then be our interim. And then in January, we made it permanent. I felt like God took me off that shelf.
and brought me back. And it's so special. And because of that, I don't want to fail him again. I don't want to let him down again. I've seen his churches fail. I've seen them refuse to follow and doors be closed. The church I had in, in Jefferson Town that I pastored, I was there 17 years. We had the same struggles, had the same challenges. I didn't have all the answers. Of course, God did. Eventually, it came to where God pulled me out of that situation. They continued to have splits and divisions. They didn't follow the next pastor. And in three years, let me back up. We had built, we had built a $5 million, 28,000 square foot sanctuary, fully daycared that could hold 120 children, beautiful land on 17 acres in eastern Jefferson County. They handed it to another church. This gave them the keys and that church ceased to exist. I've seen it too many times, and that's why I'll share with you, I get pushy. I know I do. I know I keep asking for more. I know I keep driving, but it's out of a love for you of trying to help you and get you to respond to God's call, to answer when He calls, to step up and take that step of faith when he says, we have many needs. I feel Campbellsburg Baptist Church is at the threshold of fresh growth. We have spent the last year restoring the fellowship. It wasn't this good a little over a year ago, was it? Very dejected, very depressed, very sad. I know some thought we'd never recover. Here we are with laughter, with joy, God's restored the building, done so much. But we can't keep repairing a building and we can't just sit back on our laurels and sing, Jesus loves me. We've got to sing, yes, I love Jesus. So he's calling us. He's got us at that precipice, at that point of crossing the threshold. But you know what? We need you. We need people. We need teachers. We have the team kid. We have a prospect resource. Some of them have their churches. A lot of them don't. We have within our city approximately a population of a thousand. I shared with Sunday school teachers Sunday night within a 15 mile radius of Campbellsburg Baptist Church there are 60,000 plus residents. To have this building full, we would only have to reach one-tenth of one percent of our population. And my mind goes, surely we can reach one-tenth of one percent. God's willing to do it. He's wanting to do it. He's waiting to do that, but He's waiting on you. We need teachers. We need deacons. Deacons and teachers that have a heart for it. We don't want to just fill in a blank. That doesn't mean anything. We need people to step up and say, Lord, I'm scared to death what you're calling me to, but I'm going to answer. I'm going to step out on the water. 
I'm going to respond. I'm going to let you lead and guide me. I'm going to trust you to teach me and to instruct me. And we can come alongside. I've asked uh, uh, some of our deacons to teach a class, and they've already got so much on their plates. Maybe you don't want to teach. Maybe you're not ready to teach, but you could be an assistant. You could come be in their class. You could help them make contacts. You can help them with the children or the youth or, or whoever it is. I'm going to be starting a young adult class or trying to, a younger adult than, the, than Susan's. You can go wherever you want. They're young at heart. We're going to be young in body. I'll be in between. But we need people to come alongside. Some of you have different skills and you've stepped up and I'm real proud of that and, and different things going on. But if your church is going to move forward, one of the resources we need is you. God has shown He will provide. He will give the, the resources we need. But there's one resource that can make a decision to not yield and that's His people. And so I join you today to respond to God, to step out in faith, to say, I don't see how I can do it, but I'll do it. I'll do my best. That's all God asks. He doesn't ask you to save a single soul because you can't save a soul. He doesn't ask you to do uh, things that only He can do, but He can do them through you. We need prayer. We need staff position filled. And yes, we need contributions. It takes that to keep everything going. God is ready to move forward. I'm convinced of it. Will we shrink back or will we step forward in faith, in trust, in using our spiritual gift, in finding that niche? Will we try something a little bit new? I appreciate Bethany letting me conjole her into that. I know, I didn't think she would say anything. Good job, Bethany. Yeah, I know it's hard to get up here. Sue and I can talk at you all day. I mean, we're flabbermouths. We kiss the Blarney Stone. We got no problem. I understand that. I know it's difficult for some. And I don't mean to belittle it, but it's necessary and it's helpful and it's good. So, today is a day of invitation. Part of it is if you can't say it is well with my soul and you don't know that if today your heart should quit, you'd be in the presence of Almighty God. That's step number one. Got to take care of that relationship with Jesus Christ. He's standing there ready to receive you, but He won't make you come. You have to choose. And then the rest of us as we're in, the, in that salvation experience, where peace will come in our hearts is if I'm obeying God. If we're not obeying, we're disobeying. We don't like to think in our world anymore there's, there's a lot of gray, there's not much black and white, but there are black and white things. If you're not obeying Christ, you're disobeying. If you're not doing what He says, you're, not, you're disobeying. One more thing I want to share with you comes to mind. In, re in, in my readings, Tom Rainier, we studied his book, The Autopsy of a Dying Church, shares they've done polls of churches. And they've asked the members of these churches, Christians, do you believe Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven, to 
through fellowship with God. And only 40% of professing Christians said Jesus Christ is the only way. I don't know where you are, but if you believe that, you're calling Jesus a liar. That plain and simple, because he said, it's written in your word, I am the way and the truth and the life. No man, no person comes to the Father but by me. It's, it's enticing, it's intriguing, it's, uh, we want to love everybody and get along and what they think, I'm okay, you're okay, and that works in some ways. But Jesus said, the only way to the Father is through me. And that, how, how can that 40% that are 60% that don't believe Jesus is the only way, how can they tell people about Jesus? Because they believe that Buddha's okay, Hindu's okay, they believe whatever's okay. Now, Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me.